Recent research shows some of the most common drugs we take to relieve pain or fever have an effect one way or another on our immune systems. In some cases, the drugs appear to boost our immunity to disease, while the opposite is true for other drugs. With a look, here's InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now to explain it is the study's corresponding author, Dr. Christina Abdel-Shahid, with the School of Public Health at the University of Sydney in Australia. Doctor, is one of the big takeaways here that patients who are suffering from major illnesses or who have had major surgery really need to ask their doctor's permission to take any drug, even a seemingly common one? What we found from this research is that commonly used pain and fever medicines can impact key cells of the immune system. So it really has challenged the way we think about these medicines and it will guide doctors to really consider the situations where they do prescribe these medicines, particularly for those who are critically ill or even people who are undergoing vaccinations. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you if the common pills for headache or fever potentially weaken our immune systems against COVID-19. The current recommendation across the board is not to use these medicines prior to vaccination to try and ward off, for example, headache or fever or pain at the site of injection. So what we call prophylactic use of these medicines is not recommended because what some studies have shown, and not specifically in the context of COVID-19 vaccines, but for other vaccinations, is that if the medicines are given prior to vaccination, they can actually reduce the antibody response to the vaccine. And so whilst the implications of these clinically are unclear, the potential risks include increased risk of infection and potentially reduced vaccine efficacy. We're talking about the reduction of our immune system's responses. Tell me, doctor, how big a reduction are we talking about, if you could characterize it maybe by percentage? It's really hard to quantify because it tends to vary by type of infection and things like that. However, there have been individual studies in children, for example, that have shown there is a reduction in some antibody responses of around 30%, and it's really hard to sort of pinpoint one particular percentage. However, it can be quite large. Now, there were three categories of drugs that you studied, such as opioid analgesics like morphine. First of all, give us a couple of examples of the other two, starting with antipyretics. So we looked at antipyretics such as acetaminophen or paracetamol and ibuprofen. And we looked at opioid analgesics such as morphine and oxycodone and fentanyl, which is some of the most commonly used opioid medicines across the world. And with regards to opioid medicines specifically, what we found was that there is evidence, especially in the critical care, so some of our most vulnerable individuals, people who are critically ill, use of opioids can actually increase risk of infection, it can increase risk of death, And morphine in particular would appear to reduce key cells of the innate immunity. So, for example, natural killer cells, those cells are important as our first line of defense against infections. And it does seem to translate into human studies. So we have seen increased risk of infection with the use of morphine compared to some other opioids. 
particularly following cancer surgery. The key take-home message from our study is that a lot of the research in this area is still predominantly in the lab-based and animal studies setting. So we do need to now move into large human studies to see whether these effects translate in an important clinical way in humans to what extent they translate into humans and how we could use these drugs and repurpose these drugs in the fight against some of the biggest infectious diseases that we face at the moment and also what we can do to avoid some of the medicines that might be increasing our risk of infections. And in any event, doctor, people listening to this interview should not change their treatments without discussing that with their doctors, correct? Absolutely. There is so much more to be done. So this is absolutely not making any medical recommendations, but it is saying we need to do more research in this area. Dr. Christina Abdel-Shahid with the School of Public Health at the University of Sydney in Australia. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. And that wraps up this week's show. InfoTrack's executive producer is Randy Meyer, and I'm Chris Whitting. Our internet services are provided by Payer.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll be here next week for another edition of InfoTrack.